0: Have you ever paid any attention to those pens they mark your money with in the stores? You know, you hand them a bill and they take a pen and they mark it. The The purpose is to identify counterfeit money. I was in a store not, not too long ago and I was paying for my purchase for the $20 bill and the cashier took that pen and marked that $20 bill and I said, ma'am, if I was making counterfeit money, do you really think I'd be shopping at the dollar store? Identifying counterfeit money. It's not always as easy as a counterfeiter I read about one time made it for others. He was a rather inept sort of criminal. And he made some counterfeit bills, but what he did was he mistakenly made a batch of $30 bills. And he thought, what am I going to do with these $30 bills? How am I going to pass these $30 bills? What will I do with them? I mean, he immediately realized a $30 bill, people would realize those were fake. And then he had an idea that seemed to be sheer genius. He said, I'll take those bills to the hills of northwest Arkansas. And I'll pass those bills in the hills of northwest Arkansas. Now, before anybody gets offended by that, let me be quick to explain that on my daddy's side of the family, all of my grandmother's people came from northwest Arkansas. And on my mother's side of the family, all of my granddaddy's people came from the hills of northwest Arkansas. So I'm well acquainted with people in the hills of northwest Arkansas. In fact, I'm not so sure that some of grandmother's people's, Uh, Some of of the family business didn't require a lookout the way that Jeff Foxworthy talks about. But anyway, this guy took these $30 bills to the hills of northwest Arkansas, and he's going to pass those off. And so he goes into this small store there in the backwoods, and he says, could I get change for a $30 bill? And the man that was running the store said, well, sure, that's no problem. And he gave him three $9 bills and a $3 bill. Now to the untrained eye, counterfeit money looks just like real money. It's the same length, it's the same, it feels the same, and the information on the front of the counterfeit bill seems to be the same. It looks like a real bill, but they're not. And that's why to counteract this and to fight this, they created this special pen that changes the ink, changes colors once you mark them on a bill. If it's counterfeit, it's going to make a black mark. And yet there are other ways to recognize counterfeit money. On some of the old money, one way to check was to take and hold that bill up to the light. And then to the side of the image on the bill, you can see the same image. But it wasn't visible to the naked eye. You had to hold it up to the light. And if you could see that additional image when you held it up to the light... You knew that bill was genuine. It was not a fake. And right about now, you're saying, What's the point of all this? Well, the point of all of this is that there are a lot of folks who find living for Jesus to be more of a burden than it is a joy. And you see, if we have the joy of the Lord in our hearts, You can hold us up to the light of Jesus Christ and you can see Christ living in us. He's going to be living in us and we're going to show forth His likeness. Unfortunately, there are some folks that have never truly given their life completely to Jesus. And so there's a lot of folks walking around in our world today that are counterfeit believers. And a lot of folks have walked around that way and done it so long that they're actually fooling themselves. They've convinced themselves and they've convinced other people that they're the real deal. And yet, so many times holding them up to the light of Jesus Christ, you don't see the image of God. Because there's a lot of folks that, rather than finding living for Jesus to be a joy, they find it to be a burden. They think that living for Jesus is a set of rather unpleasant sacrifices. A continual going to worship and the need of giving one's means and living God's kind of life. Those are just things that are just too hard to do. And the responsibility of visiting those that are sick and caring for other people in need and helping with good works, that's burdensome. And sometimes... We meet folks that even the individual duties of reading the Bible and praying to God are nothing more than a weight that has to be patiently borne. And most of all, the obligation to give up a lot of the so called pleasures of the world is it's just too heavy a sacrifice, too big a burden for some folks. And all of these things coupled together make living for Jesus a burden. And not a joy. Sometimes Christian folks have these feelings. And they're prone to do just as little as is absolutely necessary. They attend worship only when it's convenient. They give a very bare minimum of their means. Do as little studying and praying and working as they can possibly do. Folks want to make sure they don't miss heaven but don't want to do anything more than the minimum requirements. Kind of reminds me of a guy I knew in college one time that always at the beginning of the semester would get the syllabus and see what the minimum requirements were for the course for the semester and make sure that he met just the bare minimum requirements to pass the course. That's right, his name was Tim. Reminds me of a story I read one time about Old Hickory. Old Hickory was Andrew Jackson. It seems that Andrew Jackson, later on in his life, made the decision he should be a church member. If you read the story of Jackson's life, you find that a remarkable turnaround. But the idea that he needed to be a church member, with that in mind, Andrew Jackson approached the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Nashville, Tennessee. And the preacher asked Mr. Jackson a number of questions. And one of the questions he asked Andrew Jackson was, do you forgive your enemies? Well, you remember Jackson was a spectacular military man. He was a political leader. And Jackson had some enemies. So when the preacher said, Mr. Jackson, do you forgive your enemies? Andrew Jackson said, is that absolutely necessary? And the preacher said, well, yes, that's absolutely necessary. So after a very long pause, Andrew Jackson said, well, then I forgive them. But there's the strong implication there that Jackson did not want to forgive his enemies. But if it was absolutely necessary, then he would. You know, that's the feeling of a lot of Christian people in our world today. Those that will do absolutely what's necessary. But nothing more. There are a lot of folks that never become Christians because they feel like it's a burden to live for Jesus. The sacrifices are too heavy. It takes too much time, it takes too much money, it destroys liberty, it fringes on freedom. And so a lot of folks in our world today pass on the opportunity to live for Jesus. We need to realize something. We were lost, and now we have been redeemed. Those Christians in the first century, they didn't consider Christianity to be burdensome. And it might be good sometimes for us to look back at what things were like in the first century and remember that those people in the first century, they gave up so much more than we do to be Christians, and they did not find it to be a burden to wear the name of Jesus Christ. You remember what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3? and He said, there is none righteous. No, not one. That includes me and you. In that same chapter, Paul says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then John writes in 1 John chapter 1 that if we say, if we are so brash as to say that we have no sin that we deceive ourselves, And he goes on and says, the truth is not in us. And he also goes on in that same chapter and says that if we say that we have no sin, we have not sinned, that we make God a liar. What we need to do sometimes, if we've lost the joy of living for Jesus, we need to go back to the early morning of time and remember Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden they had been placed there in the garden, a beautiful place to dress and to keep it. God said, of any fruit of any tree in the garden, you can eat of it except one. And that's the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and the day you eat thereof you shall surely die. Well, the serpent tempted Eve, and she saw the fruit was pleasing to the eye, it was good for food, and It was a tree to be desired to make one wise, so she ate the fruit and she gave it to Adam and he ate. They rebelled against God. And that opened the floodgates of sin in this world. And since that time, with the exception of Jesus Christ, every man and woman born on the footstool of God has been a sinner. Our thought process needs to begin with the fact that every one of us was lost. And we were in need of redemption. And in Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 12 and 13, the Apostle Paul brings that lost condition into very clear focus. He writes, the King James Version puts it this way, that at that time you were without Christ. Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes afar off are made near by the blood of Christ. Now here's that same passage in the contemporary English version. At that time, you did not know about Christ. You were foreigners to the people of Israel. You had no part in the promises God had made to them. You were living in this world without hope and without God. And you were far from God. But Christ offered His life's blood as a sacrifice and brought you near to God. The phrase that ought to come home to us when we feel like we've lost our joy in living for Jesus... We should emphasize that phrase, having no hope and without God. Because that was my condition. And that was your condition before Jesus Christ came and gave us the way of escape to be saved. In Romans chapter 5, Paul tells us that God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He writes that we rejoice that through Jesus we have received reconciliation. We were estranged from God. We were lost. We were without hope. And God came and reconciled us to the Father. Peter adds to our understanding in 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 18 through 23. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver and gold, from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that Raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing you have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Being born again not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible by the word of God that liveth and abideth forever. The key word there is redemption. Redemption. Jesus paid our sin debt. Jesus paid our penalty. And Jesus bought us from the bondage of sin. Until Jesus paid the price to free my soul and your soul from death, we were, as Paul said, without hope and destined to spend eternity in hell. You see, when we lose our joy of the Lord, when we lose the joy of the Lord in our heart, We need to realize we are new creatures. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul said that if we are in Christ, we're a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That means not only are we washed, it also means we have new attitudes. That we have a new eternal destiny, a new set of goals, a new system of values. We have a new life. And the things that once upon a time would have been a burden are no longer a burden to us. Paul tells the Philippians that the things that he one time counted gain and the things that once were so important in his life, he now counts them as nothing if he would gain Christ. That's another way of Paul saying his priorities have changed. You see, since our souls have been redeemed, it seems logical that we would live a new kind of life. Paul tells us in Romans 6 that once upon a time we were the servants of sin. But having obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine, We have been made free from sin and become the servants of righteousness. John tells us in 1 John that if we have fellowship, if we say we have fellowship with Jesus and walk in darkness, then we lie. And he tells us about walking in the light. You see, as Christians, as people living for Jesus Christ, we live a new kind of life. We're a different kind of people. We live life on a higher level because we've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ and because we have a new outlook on life. You see, living for Jesus, we have the joy of the Lord in our hearts. Living for Jesus, it's not a burden. It's not a sacrifice. Living for Jesus is a joy. And living for Jesus is a challenge. That's the conclusion we come to. And we realize the entirety of the situation. When we think about our sin, and we think about our redemption, and we think about our newness of life, it ought to give us a spring in our step and a joy in our heart that we've been redeemed. And that we have no desire to go back to the ways of self-indulgence and weakness in the world. Maybe Paul's words in Romans chapter 6 and verses 3 through 5 would be something that would be appropriate for us to remember. Where Paul would write there, Know you not. That so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. You see... In becoming Christians, we're symbolically buried, showing that the old sinful man is dead, and then we're raised from the grave of water, and we walk a new kind of life, newness of life, walking in the joy of the Lord. I don't know what the need of your life is, but if for some reason this morning, You no longer walk in the joy of the Lord. You found living for Jesus to be more burdensome than it is joyful. If there's something you need to do to come back to the Lord and make Him Lord and Master of your life, and we can help you do that, this is your opportunity to do that as together we stand and while we sing.